นมะถุรัตนตยสัจะสอนท่านได้ I would like to go over exactly what are the what is the characteristic or what is the uh, nature of the Lord Buddha's teaching so sometimes it Yeah, this goes two ways. Sometimes there are many uh, things which we falsely identify as being a part of the Buddha's teaching, and so there may even be teachers out there who teach things which uh, do not belong to the Lord Buddha's teaching, and there may be false understandings of what the Lord Buddha taught. Sometimes even we might misunderstand or misrepresent the Lord Buddha and his teaching. Sometimes when we explain it to other people, maybe we don't understand, and so we don't know exactly what it is that the Lord would have taught. And this is because there's there's quite many things. Uh, <coughs> the Lord's Buddha's teaching is a very broad subject. And we have many scriptures that are said to be the teaching of the Lord Buddha. And so sometimes it it's easy to get carried away and to uh, forget exactly what is in the Tipitaka in the scriptures and what is not in the scriptures. And so sometimes we can. It's easy to. It's also easy to misunderstand the teachings of the Lord Buddha, and as a result, come up with a wrong understanding of what it was that he taught. And the other way it goes, it's it's also possible for us to misunderstand. Uh, what the Lord Buddha taught in terms of being too narrow, so being too narrow-minded and saying, "Well, that isn't what the Buddha taught, and that isn't what the Buddha taught. Only this is what the Buddha taught. You have to walk this way, and that is the way the Buddha taught. When you sit, you have to sit like this, and this is what the Buddha taught." And we get very specific about what it is exactly. You know, this path is the Buddha's teaching. That path isn't the Buddha's teaching. So it can go both ways. It's very easy for us. So we get this in the world. We get this belief that all paths lead in the same. All paths lead in the same direction. And then we get the other way where we say only this path is the only way that leads uh, to the right goal, or, or leads to freedom, or leads to uh, the final consummation of the Lord Buddha's teaching, leads to nirvana, and so on. And so, even in the Buddha's time, it was very confusing. Um, you know, there would be people who didn't understand the Buddha's teaching, who claimed to be followers of the Lord Buddha, and would, as a result, misrepresent what what the Lord Buddha had said. And so, the Lord Buddha's mother, who had ordained as the first the first female Buddhist monk, we call Pikuni. Pikuni. She became the first Pikuni, which means a female monk. And she came to ask the Lord Buddha, "How do we, how do we tell what is the what is the Buddha's teaching, what is not the Buddha's teaching? How are we supposed to? What are the criteria that allow us to decide what is, you know, is this the Buddha's teaching or is it not?" And the Lord Buddha gave eight criteria or characteristics of the, uh, the teaching of the Lord Buddha. And First of all, it's important to understand the Lord Buddha's teaching is separated into two parts. So the words that were used, how do you tell whether something is dhamma and vinaya? How do you tell whether something fits into the dhamma and the vinaya? And dhamma vinaya is the the twofold character, the twofold classification of the Lord Buddha's teaching. Some things are dhamma, some things are vinaya. And so it's important to understand this first because. Uh, <clears throat> then we can we can see that the Buddha's teaching is not one thing; it's two different things, and these two things uh, complement each other. So, vinaya refers generally to the set of rules, the set of um, procedures, or um, sort of the the discipline we say, or the uh, laws that the Lord Buddha enacted for his followers, and we. 
see this in other religions, you know, thou shalt not, this and that, um, all of these rules of uh, etiquette and rules of religious um, morality, we say, keeping certain rules, not doing certain things, and doing other certain things, you know, the, the um, obligation to do this or to do that, and the... Uh, <coughs> the the teachings of the Lord Buddha to not do this and to not do that. So the things which we have to do as a matter of course, which are just a part of of living, uh, say as a monk or as a nun, as a as a lay person, as a follower of the Lord Buddha. It generally we can say the rules. Um, it generally has to do with the things that we have to try to avoid to help us to avoid certain things, to uh, things which we're not supposed to do. So in general, it refers to the basis of the five, the five precepts as the base. Not killing, not stealing, not committing adultery, uh, cheating, we say, not to tell lies and not to take drugs or alcohol. This is the basis of the Vinaya. The Vinaya is it's, um, it's a means used by the, employed by the, the Lord Buddha to allow us to then practice the Dhamma, which is the meditation and development of wholesome mind states. So the Vinaya in general is about uh, not allowing unwholesome mind states to arise. It, this is sort of general, but it has to do, it means it focuses more on rules, you know, not doing this and not doing that, giving up certain things. The ordination of a monk, uh, or a nun, or, or even a novice, or even taking eight precepts. These are all uh, means of the Lord Buddha, which the Lord Buddha used in order to uh, bring people into a state where they'd then be able to practice the Dhamma. And these two complement each other in the, in the fact that the, the Vinaya itself, the, these rules, it's important to understand these rules in themselves don't lead one anywhere. They don't, as a result, lead one to become free from suffering. If one simply keeps all these rules and so keeps the five precepts or even the eight precepts and assumes that just by doing so one is going to become enlightened, is going to reach the consummation of the Lord Buddha's teaching, this isn't proper. Um, because these things are simply getting one into the point where one can then uh, go ahead and, and begin to practice the Lord Buddha's teaching. But on the same... Uh, at the same time, the practice of the Dhamma depends on the Vinaya. So if we're going to practice meditation, as, as I've always tried to make clear, if we're going to practice vipassana meditation or even tranquility meditation, if we don't keep these rules, if we still are totally uh, caught up in killing or stealing or cheating or lying or taking drugs and alcohol or even... Uh, well, on a, on a basis, if we're still caught up in these five things, then for sure we can't practice the Dhamma. It would be very difficult for us to, to expect to find any results in the Buddha's teaching. You know, we have the first four of them are things which, which create suffering for other beings, which create a disruption in, in the peace and the harmony which exists in the world. So these four are clear. The fifth one should be equally as clear, not taking drugs and alcohol, because what we're trying to do here is create a state of clarity of mind. We're trying to create states of mindfulness, states of awareness, states of really sobriety. So taking drugs and alcohol, of course, is, is something which is more or less the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. So these, for sure, these five things, the basis of the Vinaya are, are, are out. If we, if we just intend to practice the Dhamma and we don't have these rules, it's very difficult for us. It's almost impossible for us to expect to get any results. Moreover, if we really expect to get quick results or to get results in this lifetime, to get results during the time that we're here, we of course have to keep more precepts. So we take a, a more tighter, uh, re more restricted path. There are many more things which we have to give up, not, not having any romantic or sexual activity whatsoever. Uh, not eating in the afternoon, not listening to music or watching television, or using telephones or so on, not getting involved in entertainment or diversion or beautification, not worrying about our body, our appearance and so on. And also sleeping simply 
just as m much as we need to sleep, sleeping on the floor, taking simple lodging and so on. And if we want to get really, really, really quick results, if we really want to uh, go far and to really uh, live our lives according to the Buddha's teaching, of course, then we have to shave our head and put on robes and we have an even tighter uh, path because it's something where it's like taking a streamlined version. So the Vinaya is this getting one, setting one on the path very, um, very straight and narrow so that one doesn't have any, there's no chance for the mind to wander, to go and to stray from the path. And so it gets, there's many levels which we can take. It gets tighter and tighter and tighter, narrower and narrower and narrower to the point where we, we're, we're able to follow the path much easier. For instance, becoming a monk or a nun is a very easy way to protect oneself from the desires and the attachments which can so easily get in the way of meditation. People don't understand this and are often very skeptical. But if you ever have ever come to take eight precepts, you see it's actually quite amazing how easy it is to not eat in the afternoon, for instance, to not get involved in in entertainment and so on, how you just sort of forget about these things because you've taken these as a rule. Once you take them as a rule and it's it's kind of formal and you set yourself on doing it, it's actually you forget about it. You're not hungry, you're not uh, missing all of those things. But when you're living in the world, you know, suddenly you're hungry at night and you're you're unable to 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 focus and you find yourself you know making excuses as to why you should go and look at this and look at that and find this and find that. And you realize how useful it is to, for instance, become a monk or a nun or even just to come to a meditation center. Some people say they're going to practice meditation at home. Well, and then they try and they, they realize that it's actually a very difficult thing to do. Uh, it, it's possible. And the, the point isn't that you have to come to the monastery or you have to become a monk or a nun. Uh, the point is that, for instance, these rules themselves, they have a very strong purpose and they do make a great difference in one's practice. There are, of course, people who can keep these rules even when they are living at home. And then these people, they're able to see the difference, living at home, keeping five precepts, and living at home, keeping eight precepts. And it actually changes your, your awareness and your reality. It changes your level of dedication. So this is the, the, the difference, the Vinaya and the Dhamma. This is the two parts of the Lord Buddha's teaching. Of course, the Dhamma, we understand, is the meditation practice, the development of of wholesome states of mind, the creation of this clear awareness, this clear uh, recollection of the present moment, where the mind is no longer dwelling in the past and no longer worrying about the future, where we're able to see things clearly. And this is the practice which we're undertaking here. Just to understand that there's another side to it, and this is all of the rules which we decide to keep. Uh, this is the Vinaya. So now to explain, to, to go through this list of things that the Lord Buddha said, how do you, how do you know whether something is, is Dhamma? How do you know whether it is Vinaya? So some things could be Dhamma, some things could be Vinaya. Uh, if you, in, in general, it's all called the Dhamma. Of course, Dhamma here means the, it comes from the verb dhar, to, to hold or to, um, basically to hold, to um, adhere to. This is the Dhamma, or to carry. So we hear about the Dharma in India. The Hindus have the Dharma. And so you have the warrior Dharma. This is their, their what they hold, their, um, their Dharma, their, what do you call it, their, uh, their rules, their set of practices, their way of life. The warrior way of life is called the Dharma because there are certain things which they adhere to, which they carry. They carry this around, so warriors in Hinduism have to kill, and this is their dharma. Um, politicians have to run the country, and, and Brahmins have to run the sacrifices and the ceremonies and so on. This is their dharmas. So this became, a, the word dharma became a very, sort of a buzzword for any religious activity. You know, this teacher had his dharma, this teacher has his dharma, and it became whatever you believed in, whatever this teacher propounded, whatever this teacher taught, that was his dharma. So the teaching of the Lord Buddha is all called Dharma. This is, it is important to understand that it's all Dharma in the end. But 
when we separate it out, what we mean here is the Vinaya is not so important. It's not the core of the Buddha's teaching. I mean, the Buddha didn't uh, didn't teach just so that people would you know start keeping these rules. He taught so that people would develop their minds and you know realize high states of consciousness and high understanding and, and in the end wisdom. So this is why these two things are separated out. But in general, there are eight eight um, deciding factors to help us to decide what is the Buddha's teaching and what is not. This is just so we can uh, understand what it is that we should be. First of all, understand what it is that the Lord Buddha taught when we wonder, you know, what is Buddhism and what are we getting ourselves into here? And the other thing is how we should approach the meditation because these are very uh, very uh, important in terms of meditation practice. So we can understand when we are practicing meditation, if we're, if our practice is in line with these eight things, then we can say, okay, this is right practice according to the Buddha. If our practice is not in line with these eight things, then we can, in the same vein, see, say to ourselves, our practice is not in line with the Buddha's teaching, and we have to either decide whether we're right or the Buddha's right. Are we going to take the Buddha's path, or are we going to continue on our own way? So there, are, these eight factors are one, uh, whatever whatever teaching or whatever thing, whatever practice uh, that we can see is for the purpose of enchantment, for becoming enchanted or uh, attached, addicted. This, you can say, is not the teaching of the Lord Buddha, number one. Number two, whatever teaching, whatever practice, is for the purpose of bondage, for becoming enslaved, for becoming um, bound to, or, or enslaved to one's own desires and so on. You can say this is not the Lord Buddha's teaching. Whatever teaching is for the purpose of accumulating defilements, accumulating unwholesome states of mind, you can say, this is not the teaching of the Lord Buddha. You can say for sure, this is not the Dhamma, this is not the Vinaya. This is not the teaching of the Lord Buddha. Whatever practice is for the purpose of uh, having great wants, having many wants, having great much greed, being greedy, wanting many things, you can say, this is not the teaching of the Lord Buddha. Whatever practice is for the purpose of being discontent or giving up contentment for what one has, for the things which one has, things which one is able to uh, experience for the reality, for one's present reality. Whatever leads to discontentment for not being content, you can say this is not the teaching of the Lord Buddha. Number five. Number six. Whatever practice or teaching, you can say that this is for the purpose of socializing, for getting caught up in big, large groups and social circles and so on. You can say this is not the teaching of the Lord Buddha. If it's for the, that purpose, then you can say absolutely this is not the teaching of the Lord Buddha. Number six. Number seven. Whatever practice is for the purpose of being lazy, or leads one to be lazy. You can say this is not, for sure, this is definitely not the teaching of the Lord Buddha. And number eight, whatever dhamma, whatever dhamma is for the purpose of uh, being hard, difficult to take care of or be with, for being, is leads to one to be fussy, uh, needing this and needing that and being hard to take care of, hard to look after, hard to, hard to get along with. You can say this is not the teaching of the Lord Buddha. This is what the Lord Buddha taught to his mother, and then he said, "But you know, exactly opposite. Whatever dharma is for the purpose of disenchantment, uh, becoming um, disenchanted with, uh, with, uh, with." the things that we experience, so that we're not attached or addicted, from becoming unaddicted or unattached to, to giving up our addictions. You can say this is 
this is guaranteed to be the Lord Buddha's teaching. This is in line with the Lord Buddha's teaching. If there's any teaching which actually leads to giving up attachments and to becoming disenchanted and dis, uh, unattached, unintoxicated by sensual experience, you can say, well, this is exactly what the Lord Buddha taught. Number two, whatever is for the purpose of freedom, for freedom from bondage, for being free from slavery or not being a slave to one's own mind. You can say this is what the Buddha taught. This is exactly what the Buddha attempted to give to people. Whatever is for the purpose of giving up defilements, you know, having fewer mental defilements, cleansing the mind of all sorts of unwholesome mind states. You can say this is what the Buddha was hoping to give to people. This is the Buddha's teaching. Whatever is for the purpose of uh, wanting little, becoming a, one of few wants, having few, few desires, and being content, being content with whatever one has, whatever one gets, whatever one experiences, not needing anything new or more, or not, not being discontent, not being bored of the things that, uh, that one experiences, not needing more than this. And not being whatever whatever dharma is for not not being involved with socialization socializing whatever leads one to want to find uh, pri privacy or seclusion leading one to look inward leading one to give up one's attachment to uh, shallow discussion dialogue chatting and so on. When, what leads one to be more interested in, in what is deep inside oneself, looking deep inside the mind. So seclusion and um, being alone and so on. And whatever is for the purpose of effort, for being energetic, for having a mind which is sharp, a mind which is alert and energetic. And for the purpose of being easy to get along with, easy to take care of, easy to look after. This is also the Lord Buddha. All of these eight things, then you can be sure that this is the teaching of the Lord Buddha. And so you look at things in terms of these eight criteria. I think it's, it's most useful to look at this to help us to understand what it is exactly that the Lord Buddha taught. And not have to get into specifics, to just get a general idea of what the Lord Buddha taught. And also for meditators... To understand whether our meditation practice is in line with the Lord Buddha's teaching. Because if our practice is helping us become more enchanted, more intoxicated, and, and develop more defilements, and you know, we find ourselves socializing, and so on, and all of these eight things are starting to arise, that the Lord Buddha said, it's not the Lord Buddha's teaching, then we can say, oh, then we're not practicing according to the Lord Buddha's teaching. We're practicing according to our own way of practice and it's not as the Lord Buddha would have had it. So I'll, I'll, I give you this and now I'd like to explain a little bit about each of these, th three, these eight things uh, to help to sort of explain and to give more of an understanding of how these relate to our practice and to help us all to uh, get on the right path so that we can say that we're really and truly following the Lord Buddha's teaching. So the first one, disenchantment. Disenchantment is one of the core teachings of the Lord Buddha, one of the core um, doctrines of the Lord Buddha. And it's one of the most important stages in the meditation practice is disenchantment. In fact, in, in certain places the Lord Buddha says it is the path. The path of the Lord Buddha is to become disenchanted. Disenchanted with what? Disenchanted with suffering. And see, the funny thing is we're, we're very much intoxicated by things which are classified by the Lord Buddha as suffering. We're intoxicated by things which cannot possibly satisfy us, which don't go the way we want, which don't behave the way we want. And our intoxication with them thus leads us to a great amount of suffering as we try to maintain and sustain, uh, keep and keep stable all of these unstable difficult to maintain or impossible to maintain things. 
And the, so the Lord Buddha said, how, how we do this is we see three things. We come to see that inside of ourselves and in the world around us, everything is changing. And see, the reason we attach to, to things inside of ourselves and in the world around us is because we think that they're permanent. Or we forget them, or we don't see the fact that they're unstable. We, we might intellectually realize, you know, we, for instance, that everybody has to die. But if we really understood this, if it was really you know, clear and we were able to accept this as reality, then it's also clear that we wouldn't at all be upset when people passed away. We would be able to understand and to accept this, accept the change that, that arises. But because we hold on to things and we think of them as stable and lasting, we don't realize that they're going to cease in our heart, heart of hearts. We forget that they're going to cease and we, we become uh, enchanted and intoxicated by these things. And so when they disappear, then of course we're unhappy, we're upset by the loss of, of the thing which we enjoyed or the thing which we were, in, we were attached to. Just like a drug addict. You know, we often we often find it hard to accept that happy feelings or pleasurable feelings or good experiences are addictive, are wrong, are bad, are evil, or so on. And yet we can all accept that that a drug addict finds this finds it equally as hard to to believe. You know, a drug addict, it's impossible for them to convince themselves that the pleasure which comes from from taking drugs is wrong that there's something wrong with the indulgence and the attachment to these pleasures. Uh, of course, important is important is to make this clear. Sorry, it's not that the pleasant experience is there is anything wrong with it. Of course, any there's no nothing wrong with any experience. But our judging of it as something good, our attachment, our enchantment with it, our delight in the feeling. Whenever we have this delight, this uh, liking of it, even any very simple liking of a good experience. Uh, this it's the same addiction that we have as as a drug dealer has, and the drug dealer or the drug addict sorry, has has a very time, very hard time giving it up. Often, even a very hard time uh, really realizing that it's a bad thing, and so their addiction can lead them to great states of suffering. And we can see this in drug addicts, but we don't see it in ourselves. We don't see it in in our society. Uh, maybe to a limited de degree, we understand how greed is a very bad thing. It can lead to problems, but we don't realize that we're greedy all the time. We have greed in our everyday lives. Our greed for our our liking of any experience is an enchantment, is a delight, is an intoxication. Is something which then leads us to suffering. Uh, oftentimes we're willing to willing to accept this. You know, we we generally accept it as a part of life. That when someone dies, we feel sad. When someone leaves, we feel sad. When we lose something we like, we feel sad. And we we try to live through this, or we try to get by. There's nothing wrong with this. If people want to live that way, and they they feel fine with having this sort of uh, happiness and suffering and that's fine but this isn't the teaching of the Lord Buddha the Lord Buddha taught that there's nothing in the world that is worth liking it does you absolutely no good to like anything in the world it doesn't lead you to more happiness it doesn't lead you to peace it doesn't lead you to freedom from freedom from suffering in fact it leads you to more suffering and this is what is not clear to us that the happy feeling, the pleasurable feeling, there's nothing wrong with them. But there's nothing right, right with them either. There's nothing good about them. There's nothing better about a happy feeling than, than about a painful feeling. And if our happiness is based on, our, our, our mental happiness is based on happy feelings, then we're sure to always be disappointed. But it doesn't have to be. And so the Lord Buddha taught a, a higher happiness, a happiness which isn't based on a, a, a feeling, a happy feeling. It's a happiness which comes from freedom, which comes from release. It's like the happiness of a bird flying through the air without any worries or cares, without holding on to anything. So this is the first 
most important uh, quality of the Lord Buddha's teaching is that it leads one to become dispassionate because we come to see sorry, first impermanence, the second thing is that inside of ourselves and in the world around us everything is unsatisfying or suffering that there's actually everything in the world every little thing which we hold on to as happiness in the end it turns out that it's not happiness our happiness cannot be dependent on any one thing any one experience, any one object if it is, then we're sure to be disappointed because that, that experience, that object, that thing is impermanent, it's changing. It won't be with us forever, we can't always experience it. Even a number of different things, if our happiness is a whole bunch of different things, we still can't be sure that we're going to get always the things that we want. And third, that we can't control this, we can't alter this state, we can't force it to be any different. We can't force the things that we want to stay, we can't force the things that we don't want to leave, and so on. And when we realize this, when we see this, we become disenchanted. Meditators often become very uh, uninterested in the phenomena around them, and they feel such bliss and happiness. I mean, this is the, the key misunderstanding. We think then, well, Buddhism is a very bland and dull sort of religion, sort of path, sort of practice. Meditation must be incredibly boring, incredibly dull. And it's, it's amazing how wrong this, uh, this assumption is. That when you, when you become bored, when you become disenchanted with uh, phenomena, which, with, with ar arisen phenomena, you become so peaceful and so happy. You feel so free and so light. And so we have this incredible misunderstanding about happiness, that it has to be something exciting and enchanting. And look at what we're doing to the world as a result. We're not making this world a better place by our addictions, by our entertainment, and so on. We have all these things and we don't realize, it's, it's kind of shocking to us that this isn't the road to happiness. That these things aren't really bringing us happiness. We don't realize this. We think, well, sure, they're bringing me happiness. And the truth is they're not. The truth is they're bringing only more and more addiction, more and more attachment. So this is the first understanding and this is one thing that is very easy to see in meditation and if you're not seeing it, if you find that when you're sitting you're still wow, wow, wow and when things come up you're, you're not, you're not let, able to let go of them and you're, you're excited by bright lights and you're excited by peaceful feelings and you're excited by happy feelings and strange experiences and so on then you're not yet practicing the Buddha's teaching. Buddha's teaching is to let go of these things because an attachment to any of them is certainly not going to bring you happiness. It's only going to bring you more greed, more attachment, more dissatisfaction with, with, with unpleasant or uninteresting things. So this is the first one. The second one, the second criteria is um, whatever teaching is for the purpose of, whatever practice is for the purpose of bondage. Well, these go, go hand in hand. So enchantment and bondage. The second one is being a slave to your mind or a slave to your own desires. And this has to do with addiction. Actually, the first one is just becoming intoxicated or delighted by things. The second criteria has to do with bondage, has to getting... But it can mean also, you know, simply getting caught up or getting busy. Uh, it actually is the same root. The, the Pali word is yoga. And so this word yoga that we hear, it's, um, it's used in many different things. But here, sangyoga. Sangyoga means um, putting together or, or becoming a attached or bound or, or tied up, tied up by things. And here we're, we're, we're talking specifically about becoming, uh, you know, get, getting, becoming a slave. Because when we have many desires and we have many addictions, then we have to follow after them. And we find ourselves doing all sorts of things and getting, you know, people who get in debt, for instance. Well, why do they get in debt? It's often because of their, their strong desires and wanting things which they can't afford and so on. Wanting things which they don't need. It's not that, you know, some people may get in debt because they simply can't afford the things they need, but it's quite often that people get in debt simply because they're living beyond their means. They're living 
they're trying to get things which they don't need, which they um, simply because they they want, and so they have to chase after their desires. People who then have have families, who have children, you know, having children is often simply because we desire to have children. We desire to have um, we desire to have sexual intercourse. We desire to get married. We desire to have children. We desire to have all these things. We have all these many desires. We want to have a house. We want to have a car. We want to have this and this and this. And as a result, we have to work very hard. And we find ourselves in great, great states of suffering because of the things that we want, because of our, our addictions. So, Buddhism, and, and it can also come not simply because of greed. It can come, become because of anger. And it can, be, it can come because of delusion. When we have anger, we can get caught up in all sorts of problems, lawsuits, we can get caught up in um, you know, revenge, cycles of revenge, hatred. We can get caught up in all sorts of arguments and suffering of, of many kinds because of anger. And also because of delusion. We can say that we need to do this and do that. People who get caught up in all sorts of causes you know, doing it for the cause, this cause, that cause, people who are socialists, people who are capitalists, people who belong to this or that society, environmentalists, feminists, all, all sorts of different groups who have these very strong beliefs in things that the Lord Buddha would say are, are simply bondage, simply getting caught up in things which are not going to lead one to freedom from suffering, not going to lead one to happiness. It doesn't mean that there is anything wrong with many of these things. For instance, uh, equal rights for women, uh, environmental protection, um, you know, certain communist ideas, certain capitalist ideas, um, many ideas that are uh, proposed by these many groups, these many causes can be very useful. But they're often very useful in a sort of a roundabout way. and though there might be nothing wrong with accepting these as useful, there is something very wrong with getting caught up and getting attached and getting becoming a slave to these, um, these systems and these groups and these causes where then we find ourselves living our life for a cause which in the end is, is pretty useless. Like you know, People who their life is for the country, they live, live for their country or they live for... Um, the environment or so on. In the end we see it's a very difficult thing to do for very little result and for very little, bringing about very little goodness and in the end doesn't really help us. And we see these environmentalists, we can see capitalists, communists, feminists, um, even you know people looking for civil rights or black, black, black or ra uh, people who are anti-racist or so on that they can be very angry and, and, and not nice people. They can become very egotistical. They can become very hard to deal with, hard to stand, hard to be around. Um, and they, they themselves are trapped. They're trapped in, in this very narrow-minded uh, state of mind where they're unable to be free, they're unable to let go. So all of these things are not the Buddha's teaching. And this is important to understand. We're not here for any cause. We're not here to try to change the world. We're here to try to change ourselves. And if, if your practice is for the purpose of um, getting more and more busy, more and more caught up in, in things which don't have any end, which don't lead out of suffering, then you're not following the Buddha's teaching. The Buddha's teaching is, was to simplify one's life. Uh, for the purpose of making one's life simpler, for the purpose of making one's um, clearing one's way, clearing one's one's path, living life in a very simple and content and uh, easy to um, easy to care for, easy to take, easy to do, living life very simply, as simply as is possible. I mean, there are of course many things that we have to get caught up with. But this is the point, is that getting caught up in more is not the Buddha's teaching. The Buddha's teaching is to get caught up in less. So obviously if we have children, it's not to say that, oh, we have to throw our children out. But 
I used to say things like understanding that all of these things have a cause and the cause is our addiction, our desire, our misunderstanding. It can be through greed, through anger or through delusion that we get caught up in so many different things. The practice of meditation is to help us to let go of things and often people can let go of a great many things. Some people are able to let go of uh, their their many desires or needs. People are able to give up their, um, you know, some people before they wanted to get great jobs or become rich or so on. Maybe before people wanted to get married or wanted to have family or so on. And then they decide not to because they realize that it's incompatible with a, a spiritual practice or these things are um, quite an Im impediment in the spiritual life. This is why people become homeless, this is why people become monks, become nuns, because they see that it's a completely different life, that these things create such busyness. People think it's so great to have a house, it's so great to have uh, things and so on, and they, it's often we don't realize that this is more bondage. As a monk I think it's really easy to see because you get something, if people give you something or you have something. You, you realize, you know, wow, I've got to take care of this. Someone gave me a plant. And at first I thought, oh, that's nice, a flower. But then after a day or two, I realized I had to water it every day and put it in the sun. And it was just like, oh my God. <laughs> it, was, it was scary almost that I, this, this thing's, um, it's, it's a real burden. And so it's important that we are able to see this in our lives and see this in our practice that Buddhism, the Buddha's teaching is certainly not for becoming bound or attached to things not becoming busy or caught up in things and if things in our life are getting us caught up and busy and, and taking our time away from spiritual practice then we have to ask ourselves whether it's really necessary for us to get involved with these things this is number two number three uh, the Buddha's teaching is not for the purpose of uh, accumulating unwholesome mind states. So very obviously the practice here is for giving up unwholesome mind states. States like liking, wanting, uh, liking or wanting, disliking, uh, anger, hatred, frustration, boredom, fear, worry, uh, all of these unwholesome states. This is what we're here to, to do away with. And I think this is very clear when we practice that this is what uh, we're, we're fighting against. This is what we're trying to overcome. And it's not that we're trying to repress these things and keep them inside. We're willing to give them, uh, uh, give them a voice, allow them to come up. But then we're looking at them. Just as we look at everything, we're looking at all of the states that arise and we're asking ourselves whether these things are good or bad. Uh, for instance, when anger arises. Well, we don't judge right away whether anger is bad. We say to ourselves, angry, angry, angry. Simply considering it for what it is. Kind of like turning it around in our hands. Or turning it around in our minds. Mulling over it. And the more we say to ourselves, angry, angry, the clearer we're able to see anger. It doesn't just disappear when we say angry. It allows us to consider it very carefully and very clearly without judging it as either good or bad. And when we see that it's what anger is, when we see the, the true nature of it, we're able to decide for ourselves whether it's a good or a bad thing. And we can do this with all mind states, all, all sorts of mind states, any sort of emotion that arises. When we like something, we say to ourselves, liking, liking. The most important thing is that we don't forget to make the acknowledgement, forget to straighten our minds out, to make the clear thought. It's not important that we uh, repress or judge any of the mind states that arise. It's just important that we look at them and come to see them clearer. And this is the practice of the Lord Buddha's teaching because it, clear, it allows one to clearly overcome all sorts of unwholesome mind states. We find ourselves, our view, our way of looking at things changing. We are able to throw out so many things that we used to think were useful. We come to see that they're actually unwholesome. So any practice which allows us to do this, we can say that this is a good practice. But not simply repressing or covering up these unwholesome states. This, doesn't allow, this isn't uh, a final release. We can see that when we practice 
tranquility meditation, we're able to do away with these states temporarily. But since in the end these states come back and we're simply just accumulating them uh, deep down inside, we can say that this is not the Buddha's teaching. That the Buddha's teaching is for overcoming these things and giving them up. And the way we do this is by deciding and understanding for ourselves what is good, what is a good state and what is a bad state. And this is the technique which we give to meditators here is to simply label it, to give it a name and which allows our mind to be straight and to not get attached or judge the object right away. When we consider something as, for instance, liking, liking, we're not saying that it's a good thing or a bad thing, we're just identifying it, reminding ourselves of what it is so we don't make a judgment until we can see it clearly. And when we say liking, liking, our mind gets closer and sees clearer about the liking to the point that we're able to let go. So this is number three. It's important to understand why we're practicing is to give up defilements. If you find yourself you know, just getting angrier and angrier, then you can say you're not practicing correctly. Right? Unless you say to yourself, angry, 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 angry. It's very easy for you to become more and more angry and, and to the point where you don't want to practice, or greedy, or so on. But when we say this angry, 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 it lasts for a certain amount of time and then it disappears. The next time it comes less and less and less until finally we don't get angry at all anymore because we don't see the point. We see that anger is not useful for us. This is number three. Number four is for that the Buddhist teaching is for having little, few wants few desires. Well, again, this goes all hand in hand with, what, with the other items, but here specifically, this is a state of mind where we don't need a lot of things. This is a, a bija, it's something that the Lord Buddha talked often about. So he's just giving it in, in many different um, ways, diff many different ways of looking at the Buddha's teaching. So abhijja means wanting many things or having, having many wants. You know, these people who who are always thinking about what they're going to get and you know this feeling that comes up like the feeling before Christmas you know, we get this feeling a lot when we something we know is going to come and we're excited about something when we want something and we're going to go and chase after this and chase after that if, you're, if your practice is leading you to want more and more and more and it's, it's just the accumulation of wanting you can say this isn't the Buddha's teaching anybody who is living their life cultivating more and more wants or is unable to give up their wants and their desires we can say this person is not practicing the Buddhist teaching and this is number four number five is in the same lines this is contentment that the Lord Buddha's teaching is for the purpose of contentment contentment is an, of an incredible benefit to any person I suppose but most importantly for a meditator, being content with the lodging that we have, being content with the clothing that we have, being content with the food that we get, being content with uh, the, the medicine, with simple medicines and so on. Being content with it, whatever, whatever necessities of life. Uh, being content with whatever we get, because when we're meditating, we don't have a lot. Uh, we have to give up many, many things. And so if we don't have a sense of contentment, if we're not able to be content living simply, it can be very difficult for us to practice. And so we can say we're, we're not in line with the Buddha's teaching when we're discontent, when we're chasing after more and more things, and where the things that we have are not enough for us. The state of contentment is, is a very special state. The Lord Buddha said it's the greatest wealth. Contentment is the greatest wealth. And, I mean, this is, I think, very clear what, what the meaning of this is, is, is that we can get many, 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 many things. We can accumulate all sorts of wonderful things, but in the end, it's, it's like we're poor still. It's like being impoverished because it's never enough for us. The more we get, the more we want. Right? The more we want, the more we chase after, and the more we get. And it's, never, it's a never-ending cycle. But whenever, at whatever time, we become content, uh, from that point on, then we're, we're like a ri the richest person in the world. And if we can be content with nothing, then we're like um, we're like the richest, the richest of the rich. Our our wealth knows no limits because we don't need anything. So this state of contentment is like saying, 
When you have these clothes, you're content with these clothes. When you have this food, you're content with this food. This is being rich. If you have no food, then you're content with no food. If you have no clothes, well, that's maybe something else. It's maybe not about contentment, it's maybe about shame. Uh, although there are nudist, co nudist colonies, I understand this, but um, I think given the nature of the human body, it's probably wise to wear some sort of covering for the, the parts of the body which um, create a sense of um, a sense of shame or a sense of which are associated with with sexuality and so on associated associated with sexuality so covering up the body is you know it's not that you say I'm content I don't need clothes that's not the meaning also I'm con I'm content I don't need food this is also not good but if you have no food being content with having no food is 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 just like having all the food you need if you can go a day without eating because you have no food this is a great gift it's a great blessing as an example things like being content with medicines not having to take all sorts of drugs and painkillers and so on being content with with experience being content with painful feelings when you have pain arising being content even though there's pain being happy being at peace with yourself no matter what experience arises uh, being content with heat when you when you'd rather have cold being content with cold when you might rather have heat being able to be content with whatever experience or experience comes to you uh, whatever you experience this is number uh, number five no number four how many are we at number one two uh, three four this is five Number six is whatever what is the socialization, socializing, being caught up in social in society, and this takes many forms. This can be simply, you know, needing to grab groups of people and talk and talk, or it can have to do with getting involved in government and politics and society, um, joining groups, joining causes, and so on. It's similar to as I talked about before and in general this is not the Buddha's teaching so if you find yourself sitting around talking sitting around in groups all the time then you're not following the Buddha's teaching the Lord Buddha's teaching is to look inside oneself and so Buddha's teaching is a lot about being alone which is kind of I suppose um, a little bit surprising for people or shocking to think that that might be the right path we generally don't think it's a good thing to be alone we think we consider it to be lonely uh, consider it to be kind of un uninspiring, unenlightening to be alone. But there was a, a quote that I heard a long time ago, and I still am not able to find it. I don't know if anybody knows where it came from. But this one philosopher, I think it was, or writer anyway, said that all of the problems in the world, all of the major difficulties and, and problems that exist in this world, stem from the simple fact that humans are not able to sit alone with themselves for even five or ten minutes or half an hour or whatever, however it went. And I think this is, of course, this is self-evident self that our inability to uh, live with our own minds forces us to then go out and get things beyond our means, beyond uh, the, the, a natural experience. That if, if only people were, were to able to sit down and calm their minds and straighten out their minds and purify their minds, make their minds a good place to live in, then they wouldn't ever need uh, to chase after anything. We wouldn't have hunger, we wouldn't have uh, greed, we wouldn't have poverty, we wouldn't have war, we wouldn't have environmental degradation and so on. If only people could just sit still. I mean, have you ever seen... I mean, have you ever... You know, is there any way people could possibly um, find blame with someone who just sat still? Like, look at how they're ruining the world. You know? It's clear that people who sit still, people who do a lot of meditation, they don't do... They're, they're not doing anything to harm the world. And simply doing that, simply sitting still, you know, simply not doing all of these things that we do to get involved with society 
involved in building up construct, construct constructs and systems and so on. Uh, how how we're actually destroying our own world and how we're with religion and with politics and with all of our our groups and games and pleasures and enjoyments. If we were just able to stay alone with ourselves, we would we would find we would see that there's well there's at least one person who is not creating trouble for this world. And of course being alone is the only way you can come to learn about yourself and the only way you can possibly hope to become enlightened. There's no enlightening someone else or giving someone else enlightenment. If that worked it would it would we would all have been enlightened for sure by now. Enlightenment is something you have to find for yourself. You have to gain for yourself. You have to come to realize for yourself. And so the only way to do that is to look inside, is to be by yourself, to be alone. And so if anyone thinks that socializing is part of the Buddha's teaching, they can be sure that they're that now that they're they're not in line with the teaching of the Lord Buddha. This is number six. Uh, number, characteristic number seven is that the Buddha's teaching is not for laziness, not for being lazy, it's for putting out effort. And again, as I mentioned before, this isn't, doesn't mean that you have to work really hard or work, work the body very hard, uh, be energetic in a physical way. In fact, we can see that meditators seem very lazy. They're just sitting still, walking very slowly, very leisurely. It's sort of a very lazy or laconic sort of existence. We're not putting out any sort of effort, uh, as it's, it seems that we're actually quite lazy or quite um, quite sedentary. But if we look inside the mind of a meditator, and if we look at the practice that we're undertaking here, when meditators come to to practice here, in the beginning it seems very easy. That we're just giving them a simple exercise. But then on day two, we give them another exercise. On day three, we give them another exercise. And to the point where they realize that it's actually a great amount of work. And if someone were to come and take the course, then they come to realize that actually meditation is a great amount of work. And the true path of the Lord Buddha is, is a very energetic sort of thing. It takes a lot of effort in the mind. Your mind has to be very sharp to be able to finish, to be able to uh, complete the Lord Buddha's teaching complete the practice of the Lord Buddha's teaching. Meditation is not something where you just simply sit and fall asleep or sit and indulge in pleasant states. or It's not simply a vacation. Meditation is something which allows us to cure the sicknesses which exist in the mind, and it's a very difficult thing to do. It requires a lot of effort. So simply walking, keeping your mind on the foot is a very difficult thing. When you sit, keeping your mind on the rising and the falling, keeping your mind aware of what arises in the present moment can be a very difficult thing. But it's important to understand that the Lord Buddha's teaching requires effort. When we're practicing, if our practice is simply indulging, then we can say, no, we're not following the Lord Buddha's teaching. But if we can see that our mind is, is effortful, is energetic, is able to acknowledge the things which arise, acknowledge that the body, the feelings, the mind, the thoughts, and emotions and mental states and so on. Then we can say, yes, we're following the Buddha's teaching, the Lord Buddha's teaching, at least insofar as we're putting an effort. This is number seven. And number eight is for the purpose of being easy to deal with and easy to take care of, to not being fussy, not being picky, uh, not being particular, not being easygoing. The state of a meditator is someone who is able to uh, is able to stay with just about any any condition, who doesn't get upset and doesn't isn't hard to deal with, it isn't hard for them to um, to to live. It isn't hard for people to you know they don't need a lot of things, so they're easy to take care of, and they don't need things to be in a certain way. If it's noisy, they don't need it to be quiet. If it's cold, they don't need it to be hot. If it's hot, they don't need it to be cold. So they're easy to take care of. When we practice meditation, we're learning to become more content and as a result being more easy to, to deal with. So if we look at ourselves and we find that we're actually uh, developing all sorts of needs and um, particular uh, desires and so on, then we can say that we're not following the Buddha's teaching because the Buddha's teaching is for the purpose of 
being easy to deal with, easy to take care of, easy to be around, the easy going, I'm able to accept things as they are. So this is a um, discussion of what is it that we're practicing and what is it that the Lord Buddha taught. And this is the Dhamma for tonight. Uh, I hope it's useful to help us to understand and to make clear what it is that we're getting ourselves into here and help us to sort of streamline our practice and develop a, a more um, focused and straight sort of practice so that we can in no long time be able to realize for ourselves the uh, consummation of the Lord Buddha's teaching and we're able for ourselves to realize freedom from suffering. So I'd like to thank everyone for coming tonight and I'll leave you with this and encourage everyone to continue on in the practice and not to get discouraged or to give up so that we can all find freedom from suffering for ourselves. Thank you and everyone have a good night. <laughs>